0: Now listen, before we begin, I've had a couple of friendly patrons. What's a patron, you ask? Well, listen on. Uh, tell me that I'm not bold enough in plugging patreon.com forward slash for monthly subscribers. I also have a kofi page for one-off donations, kofi.com forward slash It's the way things are done these days, and I feel horrible even saying the words out loud but apparently it's perfectly acceptable. So if that floats your boat, patrons, by the way, get advance releases and also exclusive podcasts that aren't available for anybody else, as well as postings and bits of comedy and various other stuff that uh, I don't unleash to the riffraff. Um, anyway, but look, if you're here just to enjoy this podcast on your bus journey or whatever, um, well, you're perfectly welcome as well, and thanks for being here. Uh, on with the Motley. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a positive Doctor Who episode commentary in which a friendly and creative person asks me, Toby Haydock, to watch a story and try to guess what their favourite things about it are.
1: Hi, Toby. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name's Emma Reeves. I'm a writer. Um, I've written um, a bit for Big Finish. I've written quite a lot of CBBC and um, I have also written for Stage and I am here today to talk about Time Lash. Now, um, I am not going to pretend that it is one of my favourite Doctor Who stories or um, advocate for it being one of the best Doctor Who stories you will be relieved to know but I do have very fond memories of it because I remember watching it as a child. So. It takes me to happy times and places. Uh, and so in the spirit of the podcast, I'm going to talk about Time Lash.
0: <laughs> OK, whereas John Cooper, when he chose Time Flight, said, I love this. Uh, Emma least had to go, I'm not even sure it's that good. <laughs> so <laughs> with that in mind, I've now got an hour and a half. Uh, in which uh, I need to find the positives in a story that the person who's chosen it has even said uh, isn't up to much. So this'll be interesting. <laughs> um, so, um, and I'm also uh, minded to remind regular uh, viewers and listeners that I have again not been able to find the Blu-ray remote. So again for half an hour, and I've been working today quite hard, so I'm quite knackered, uh, looking for a device which operates a device that is otherwise useless, that otherwise may as well be a brick, that otherwise may as well be a burnt out Android. Um, so, people, scientists who make the future, just put a play button. That's all I ask. Uh, it could save me an awful lot of time. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, having stolen my partner's phone and made that into a remote control, um, I've had to steal it off her prone sleeping body and use her and sort of use her dead face to uh, to open up her phone yeah I know the links that I go to uh, I've, it's essentially like uh, uh, you know yeah t- t- taking the eyeballs from a corpse in order to do uh, 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 you know ocular recognition software uh, it's essentially what I've done but she's not dead okay she's not dead um, I mean she's sort of dead to me because she's put the remote somewhere um anyway uh well I'm in a good mood now so ah uh, press play in three two one go it's time lash um now this is because I remember at the time um did I did I think any stories were were any different to other stories and uh, I'm I hadn't pressed record on the microphone, but it's all right. I've picked it up. Uh, Technology. So, uh, well, things are looking up. The sound on the podcast version has presumably just got slightly better. Um, Time Lash by Glenn McCoy. I am thinking, oh, I don't know that name. Uh, This is his only Doctor Who, of course. Um, My brother had a star chart a bit like that on his wall. Um, uh, and, And it made me feel quite comforted to know that because my brother was into astrology and stuff and uh and and he's sort of very wise and sensible so it seemed quite good that one of those was on doctor who but the same token i was slightly should doctor who have something that's on a teenager's wall um but anyway um time lash i remember thinking when we got to this point in the season well this must be the the last story then because the season seemed to have gone on for quite a long time i was very pleased because uh kept expecting doc 2 to end Uh, and especially i think because the episodes were going to be fewer uh, because they were 45 minutes i think i was expecting a shorter season so actually the season ended up feeling longer because i'd expected it to be shorter which i think has informed my pessimistic nature where i always assume things to go badly and then if they go well it's a pleasant surprise um I am very fond of Colin Baker, and I will probably tell you my Colin Baker story, um, which is why he will always be a special doctor to me, the first doctor I ever met. I think anybody that's ever met Colin Baker as a young fan would probably attest that he uh, smashes that thing about never meeting your heroes into oblivion because his conduct uh, to young fans, and I've seen him do it to young fans now, Terrified of meeting a TV Doctor Who, is exemplary. Uh, I think, uh, and the way that he treated me as a as a as a as a young lad, who as we will discover, probably outstayed his welcome, and pro- probably uh, introduced himself uh, in you know in a way that was slightly uh, uh, not according to protocol. Uh, what a gracious and generous and decent man Uh, he was and I think he's always been a great ambassador to the show now obviously I'm in a dilemma here I remember this model shop for some reason thinking oh I think I thought I think I thought it was set in Aztec times and I thought we might be getting a historical and I was very excited by that idea now Pennant Roberts is never lauded as a great director the casting of these three minor characters uh, is 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 a sign that he's pretty good Um, in certain regards, has he, has, has Martin Gower nearly sworn yet? Um, I think, does he do that when they first arrive? There's a bit where he sort of goes, whoosh. Uh, and, and and it sounds like, and some people said, there's a swear word in Doc 2. That's wishful thinking. He doesn't swear, but, um, it's almost like he does. And now he, now he just sort of wanders around to get caught. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we've missed the bit. There's so many bits at, at the beginning to catch, um, uh, on Carfil, certainly, that are worthy of talking about, which means I might ignore the Tardis scenes a bit. Forgive me, um, but I think that's also a sign that Tardis scenes during this period can be a little superfluous and lengthy. Um, but those three actors—I um, mean, first up, headline news is that Aram—is it Christine Kavanagh, uh who was about to become—was uh, she in a thing called? C4? She, she, she had the leads in a c- couple of things uh, she was about to come quite pretty pretty uh big news uh, but also was written i think as a male character and I, I i think i will probably say this every time i do a pennant robert story but it's not to be sniffed at if you look at how many supporting characters in television of this time and particularly doctor who uh are you know men frankly um uh, uh, you know Parts that could be anything are, are perhaps, I think, made a little bit more interesting. And certainly in terms of the working life of aspiring actresses, you know, giving giving female actors the chance to play parts that otherwise wouldn't have been open to them. Stephen McIntosh here is one of our leading actors now. And this must be an early job for him. He's very thin, which is very useful on camera, as uh, I will prove, by, <laughs> but by being the opposite. Um, uh so you've got Christine Kavanagh who, g- who goes on to have a, a superb career and then had a bit of a demo. I think maybe she had a family. She was married to, I, I know she was married to Jack Ellis. I think <laughs> I've just said, I know. And then they counted it. Well, no wonder you got caught tie here. You just start, you just walked off. Um, ha- having nearly sworn, uh, Did you see what I did there? I said, I know. Then I said something and then added, I think, because I suddenly had that moment of doubt where I thought I could be wrong. That is how I spend my entire life. (laughs) My entire life is spent going, I'm going to say a thing and then uh, immediately have immediately doubt myself. So have to (laughs) add a caveat of uncertainty. Um, But yeah, Jack Ellis for Footballers Wives. Good actor. I think, uh, think she was married to him. Um, so she did disappear for a bit. And I remember thinking, oh, because she did have quite a few sort of telly leads. But she's been back doing stuff since. Um, and I did see her in a couple of things. So she's a, a, a sign of a... There's Jean-Anne Crowley f- floating around. Um, Carfell's a very interesting place. Um, uh, the, the the seating there is uh, is arranged a bit like the, uh, the, the, the seating on Gallifrey, where... Um, the councillors are, are are seated perfectly to have a conversation with an audience, but not so good to chat amongst themselves. Um, at least, unlike on Gallifrey, they they you know turning their heads is not problematic for these people. Eric Deacon, this actor here playing Mikros, who has I think a certain attack. Um, has has he just has he just said my favourite line of the whole thing? I don't think he has um not what not only is our planet divided but we are also under imminent threat of invasion from our former allies the banjils there, there it is allies, the banjils you you know she knows they're your former allies <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of exposition it's not but it's a bit like the bit in MasterChef where they shout what they know at each other you know um They have to impress the critics, otherwise they're not getting through to the semi-final. Uh, You know, uh, he has to make sure this souffle rises, otherwise it'll be a disaster. Not only is our planet divided, but our country is under imminent threat by our former allies, the Bandrills. Carfell doesn't get much tougher than this. (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, here's here's Tahir Martin Gower, who was in a thing called Growing Pains a bit after this um and it's also a very clever use of resources martin gower as ty here because he's about to get chucked into the time lash but before that uh, but after that he becomes the voice of their former allies the bandrills uh, he is the voice of the Bandril ambassador which is uh, uh nice for an actor playing a small part to get an extra bit to do and a good use of resources because he's already in the studio uh uh, I like Eric Deacon. He was a he was an actor that seemed to be going places at the time, and he's had a very good career. He's the brother of the actor Brian Deacon, uh, who was once married to Rula Linska. Um, uh and and Eric Deacon was I think he was Duffy's boyfriend in Casualty, was he? He was in a thing called Hard Cases, uh, uh, and and but he's since become a writer and written for for all sorts of telly, but uh, uh, and and. Stephen um, uh, you know a, a star of the future Muppets Christmas Carol, uh, Luther. Uh, oh, he's done all sorts of movies and TV. very good um, hitting hitting somebody on the arm dismissively acting from Paul Darrow here who I'm sure we will discuss at great length and with a smile on our face and a song in our hearts because it, it, even you, you, he even stands entertainingly and sometimes that's what you need in a programme like this which I think does flirt with blandness occasionally uh, I, I wouldn't say that you would always want a, a, a Darrow but but when when Darrow brings what he brings when it's needed it's very welcome so bye bye Stephen McIntosh I wonder if he's ever talked about being in Doctor Who um, I'm not saying he's done this I do sometimes get cross with actors who are given an early break in a programme and we go yeah but you know it was a bit rubbish and i was a bit rubbish you were, you were a young actor given a chance to be in a TV show uh, and uh, and certainly say Martin Clunes it's a lot better than you put it across when they show an out of context clip of you in a silly costume which is supposed to be a silly costume really uh, in a really good production and you could just say yeah I was young and I was starting out and it was brilliant so do that next time um uh, <laughs> Uh, and I'm not saying that's actually necessarily Martin Clunes' fault. I think the way those chat shows and programmes are sometimes set up, like, why don't we just say, you know, before you were famous, everything was terrible. Uh, and I think it actually takes a brave person to go, actually, no, I really needed that part. And it was really helpful to me. And I learned a lot. Anthony Calf, when I talked to him about being in The Visitation, which was his first telly, was so keen to talk about it, and he's had an amazing career since then because he went, well, no, people were really welcoming and I'm really pleased that I got to do this, you know, decent part and spend a week rehearsing at the BBC and it was a really good way into television. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with starting out somewhere. It's it's a good thing. Uh, um, and as I say, I'm not saying that that either Clunes or Macintosh don't do that. It just, it just reminded me when... Uh, I think sometimes the way it's been framed for Martin Clunes, particularly in shows. Um, uh, now that I <laughs> love the android, I didn't think I wasn't sure I would. Um, I I'm not sure I love the person who hit Jean Anne Crowley over the head with a spade just before recording, because she floats through this slightly like she's dazed, and I'm not quite got to the bottom of it. I don't know if something somebody, somebody snipped something into her tea, because uh, she's good actress. She was in. Uh, uh, Tenko. Uh, in fact, these are all actors of good pedigree. We've uh, we're 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 uh, I always like a good a named off-screen character. So Tola is Malin Rennis's wife who is in hospital, and this will be important later. Um, he's doing very sort of distant, suspicious acting here, uh, Eric Deacon. Um, and I like Neil Hallett, who plays in Rennis, uh, who uh, I, I believe I've, I've got a book about, um, uh, you know, picture postcard saucy saucy seventies um, uh, British, you know, sex comedy movies, and uh, and apparently he's in quite a few of those. See how uh, I went? To, apparently, then I haven't seen them. I actually haven't. I've seen a few of the. Confessions of Window Cleaners, but that's it. I've not seen any with him in, but he, he gets an entry in, in this book. So, um, But I think he's got great nobility here. He's like a cross between sort of... He's got a bit of John Franklin Robbins about him, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's, he's like somebody stuck. John Franklin Robbins' nose on an older David Bailey's face. Uh, so he's got a sort of hawk-like thing about him. I love the lighting in here. Carfell, I, whenever I think of Carfell, I think of rather a beige planet with... Um, I mean, I do like these these costumes, actually, which are by Alan Hughes, who I hadn't realised until I did my In Memoriam video when he died a couple of years ago. Just what a big deal he was. He designed Diana Riggs costumes for the Avengers. Um and this uh, this is the only Doctor Who, um, uh, and and I, I I quite like these because they look they look comfortable, um, they look suitably yeah they look they they look yeah they they look practical and comfortable. I think sometimes uh, clothes on other planets can get a bit carried away with themselves. Uh, the, I think they're d- doing. I think some of this is quite clunky. We have to be a bit honest about... Time Lash does not... Let's be honest. Time Lash does not have a good reputation. Um, And I think these two men are having to do a certain kind of acting that I don't think you necessarily can sort of would do anymore. Um, But I think they're doing what's required in, in this scene, which is... I mean is it shot on one camera no, there must be there must be cuts to another angle but it's 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 all shot from yeah but it's all there's there's a close up of some hands but it's all shot from one direction ah but I like this because um well we're going to we yes we're going to have a we we're going to have a, a a thing that poor old Rennis is going to have to do um I do and I quite I like the lighting there as well I think the lighting in in this is very impressive, and uh, oh yeah, and this is this is a nice character moment because you can tell from the look on his face, and we've already had her seeded into the story, but we will never meet Tola, uh, because she she's in hospital, and she's gonna have her support system turned off and I also like the whole thing of a hospital with a support system now this may be a different planet this might be futuristic stuff going on but we all know that hospitals have life support systems for people who are poorly and so so we and it's not yeah and it's it's not necessarily a doctor who sort of thing somebody sort of off stage uh on a life support system and and, and the events these events uh, impacting on the life of that. Now they're recording this but aren't they because this bit gets played a bit later on. All right, I'll have it. but I mean he has been sort of he has been sort of set up and he has just Malin Renis has just pulled the the control switch uh off the controls and sort of stuck it back on because it's now out of vision. But yes, he uh he he pulled the set apart there uh <laughs> and covered it valiantly. Um yeah, he has does have a noble countenance, a great a great face. I now I I have to say, at the time, the androids seem a bit seem a bit eighties because breakdancing and body popping and I've I, I've probably used the wrong phraseology, but some of the cool kids at school did the sort of body popping, break dancing, whatever you call it. I'm aware I'm now sounding like a geography teacher kind of get, trying to get down with the kids. But that movement and that sort of, you know, turning of the head and moving of the hands seemed a bit akin to that. And it was like Doctor Who was drawing on an existing thing. Uh, and of course, there's nothing worse than now reflecting the Politics of the time and and satirizing them and turning them on their heads or commentating upon them or using them as a driver for storytelling is interesting. But using it's a bit like the the time controller in Remembrance of the Daleks. They were in something else. Uh, they were in a, there was Noel Edmonds' show that had them, but they were also in certain shops. You know, the the shops where you buy things for people that they don't really l- want that look quite cool. You know, those shops that we're always somehow drawn to. Have this thing that has no practical value, is slightly overpriced, and you're not sure if you want, but you won't throw away. Um, And uh, and, and I think using sort of breakdancing movement seemed to be drawing from what was current and seemed a bit like folly, whereas actually now, you know, whatever it is, 30-odd years later, it doesn't seem especially 80s to me, because so much time has passed. Uh, it actually, I think, works within the context of the story, perhaps now, perhaps better than it, it did then. But that's maybe because I'm, I'm from the 80s and maybe it's everything you imagine about the 80s with horror, a purple-faced man with peroxide hair, um, break dancing across Carfell. But I am actually, to my surprise rather delighted by the android we will talk a lot about the borad and robert ashby um uh, i mean he has a terrific voice And and that aging effect is not unlike the one in city of death um uh and it's it's okay yeah it's um yeah, it's more rad. Yeah, I see. I like that. I think that's great. I think that's. I think that's an attempt to do something, something slightly different, but an attempt to evoke the robotic, which is what you want from a robot. Um, Peter Robert Scott, uh, an actor. I don't know from much else apart from that. I know he's invented a board game, and I did. Uh, I did look at because I knew he was on Twitter. He's only got twelve followers, so follow him. I don't think he's updated since twenty thirteen, but nonetheless now i i sort of don't believe any of this um it, yes it's a, it's uh, i mean i i don't think either of these people are acting b- believably um uh but but paul Darrow is enjoying himself uh so much um that i i can't help but admire his chutzpah in going i'm going for this but but that is not to say that i don't think paul darrow is a good actor i think actually think paul darrow is a better actor than he but but who also did not take himself particularly seriously i remember with blake seven i thought avon was terribly serious apart from the sort of sarcastic lines things but avon was a very serious person and I I remember when I'd not met uh Paul Darrow that I thought he might be a bit intense that's that bit where he grabs his absent amulet I mean there's I mean there's a there's a lot of uh it's a lot of scenery chewing going on by Paul Darrow and if the scenery is made of ham then he's committing an act of cannibalism as well um and I'm not sure how well advised it is. I don't I don't know, but it is enjoyable. So do you know what? In a story which is full of an awful lot of compromises, this was a troubled production in terms of timing and the scripts being ready, which uh, I'm sure I will gas on about later. Um, what he's is doing is... An actress could do it in those days. Actors could go look at Graham Crowden in uh, uh, Crowden in the Horns of Dymon. Actors could go. I'm not sure about this. I'm at least going to make sure that I entertain the people at home, uh, and 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 that wouldn't be. You would risk your career now, because um, <laughs> there's so much less being made. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I think we, we lose something with, with, with the way that drama was churned out at this time. An actor going, well, it's a bit of a dull one this week. I'm going to give it a bit of colour is, is one of the things we've lost from our cultural landscape. And I don't think we're any better off for it. And I thought Paul Darrow might be a bit intense and a bit serious when I met him. And I found to my delight, he was a real turn. In fact, a bit, t- almost too much of a turn. He was a, he was a, he like, he was a like a sort of bit of a sort of music hall c- comic. He he had a a, a wag and a gag for every occasion. And uh, I I did a, a charity event with him that I was asked to do. H- him and Tom Baker. I mean, I know I was very very fortunate. And I shared a dressing room with those two guys. And I thank the people that organised that who asked me to do it. My goodness, um, uh, and. And and Paul was very 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 game, and he was very 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 funny, um, in a way that that sort of smouldering screen presence that he has, perhaps would not have indicated even when he's going a bit OTT. um, As I say, he was a bit of a he was a bit of a turn. um, Whereas I I, this intensity that he has on screen in Blake Seven, I think he's absolutely brilliant. And there's moments, and I know I think there are moments where he occasionally. enjoys himself a little bit too much but there are moments where he does acting where it's a tight close-up on his face and he's sort of inscrutable but you can see the keen intelligence and the calculating nature of his character and the fact that he's probably prepared to do anything and he's doing it without changing the expression on his face and that is brilliant brilliant screen acting I love Paul Darrow I think he's great I I don't think he's using all of those tools in this and I think he could have been memorable if he'd taken if he'd made his approach slightly more serious. But I'm I'm not going to question an actor of his stature and presence going and I think he probably took one look at Colin Baker's costume and thought, I've oh, and I've got to do what Colin Baker did in Ark of Infinity, which is go, I've got to make the most of what I've got here. And that worked for Colin Baker. Um and as I've said, I'm a b- big fan of Colin Baker, but I, I do have to acknowledge I'm not sure that the look, uh, which I loved at the time because I'd found Davison's costume a bit bland and I like the idea of being totally tasteless, but, you know, I've I've made wardrobe choices uh, then that I would probably regret now. i would probably regret these uh, in the future. Um, life is full of regrets. But I think a bit like, unlike the android, which actually contradicts what I'm about to say um, is that I know John Nathan Turner with the neon logo and the Doctor's costume wanted, you know, he had a thing about bringing Doctor Who into the 1980s. Well, I I I think you have to be careful of bringing Doctor Who into the time that you are because the time that you are seems fresh and new, but nothing dates more quickly uh, than the present f- vision of the funky future or the present. Um, adoration of the things that are current and new and zappy, but in 15 years will look old and dated. I also question the idea of having lethal plants as a decoration in your beige city. If your city is entirely, it's beige and triangles, Um, careful. I've just noticed a load of, because and Renaissance control panel and amulets were triangle. These these are very triangles. It's a bit like, at the time, Channel 4 showed films that were going to have a bit of naughty content in it um perhaps over and above what you'd have seen in a movie that neil hallett was in um uh, and it had a and it had a red triangle in the corner to say sauciness alert um so either be offended or prepared to commit some of this to the memory banks uh and uh, and it's it's like carfil is carfil uh, is 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 warning that uh, um the, the its walls may soon contain graphic sexual content. oh there's even triangles on this wall um I, I think there's something rather um there's a sort of rather saddenability to the um the bandrils. I think they were originally to be called the the girdles the gird the girdels girdels, but obviously when you say it's girdle, it sounds like a girdle. You don't want to be, you don't want an alien called a girdle. Um, <laughs> he's enjoying himself, but I. It reminds me a bit of my dog when, when he sits up like that. The, uh, the oh, he looks so sad. I love the Bantryland Ambassador. It, now, here's David Ashton as Kendron. Uh, David Ashton is uh, still about. Is uh, it, now, uh, uh, and I, I hadn't realised at the time. Uh, who he was but I remember Brass was a series that was on that that we all that was fantastic that I didn't get to see as much as I'd like to and he's in Brass uh and he's also in Hamish Macbeth Scottish actor David Ashton um uh but he's also a writer of uh, a detective called McCleavy I think that there's books of and also been played by Brian Cox on the radio uh but he's he's curious. I think Ken John in this he sort of plays it as an old woman. I think everybody's sort of having a go to, to perhaps give it a bit of um. Because, as I've alluded to, um, you have very 80s hair from the back. You could be Adrian's Med from T.J. Hooker, season at the Falchon Rocks. I remember that. They had real timing problems with this. Episode 1 overran, episode 2 underran. There was talk of bringing the cliffhanger back, but John Nathan-Turner liked the time-lash cliffhanger, so I think some of the Perry stuff gets moved to episode 2. But what that means is that some stuff here, was, some stuff in this episode was cut, and as we will discover in episode 2, some extra stuff had to be filmed. And I, I remember when I when I spoke to Colin Baker, um, he was in a play called Corpse at the Grand Theatre Wolverhampton. It was him and it was Jack Watling. And uh, I was lucky enough to be taken to the theatre by my mum and by a friend of ours. Uh, And I'd heard talk of meeting actors at the stage door. Um, When you've killed the girl, go and attend to the bees and make sure you bring back some honey. Um, and, uh, And, so we went to the stage door to meet this man, Doctor Who, Colin Baker. He, he was no longer Doctor Who. He'd, he'd not long uh, finished being Doctor Who. Um, now, I know now the stage door is where the actors leave and you can actually contrive a hangabout and now uh, sometimes lots of people hang around outside stage doors collecting autographs. We actually found a door in an alleyway that was a metal door that was open and you could see props in. And we went th- through there and had a bit of a walk around and ended up on the stage... And a stage manager came on and said, uh, hello, can I help you? And my friend, who's much older than me, he was sort of 40s, 40s, Derek, a friend of ours, who was a local handyman that that took pity on a boring child like me and would come to the theatre with uh, me and my mum sometimes. And Derek was going to do the talking because he was a brave grown-up and I was a pathetic coward and still am. And, um, And Derek said, oh, we're here to see Mr Baker. And this woman said, is he expecting you? And Derek said, yes. Uh, So she took us and knocked on Colin Baker's dressing room door and opened the door uh, and she said, Mr Baker, you're expecting these people? And he went, oh, yes. Now, he wasn't, but he obviously didn't want us to get into trouble, Uh, welcomed us into his dressing room, signed a few things. He was, you know, his post-show. I've got a couple of pictures of him. He's covered in sweat because it was a very energetic show. Uh, and I asked if I could come back and interview him for my fanzine, which I never did. Um, I never did the fanzine, but I I wanted to, she's just murdered a man with the decorative plant. Although I suppose he has got the beekeeper thing on. He might've survived. Um, and, uh, even the door handles are triangles. I hope, yeah. Um, this is where the advantage comes from being followed by a breakdancer: is that they, they take a while to turn a corner. Um, And we came back a couple of days later and I interviewed Colin Baker and do you know what? He was amazing. He was so kind. He gets his half-hour call. I've still got the tape. Nobody's ever heard this tape, actually. It would probably make me blush. Uh, Rebels, Dank Tunnels and the Morlocks. That's a great title for a Doctor Who book. Um, uh, uh, And and Colin Baker gets his half-hour call, which you know, is when you have to start to get ready. And he's in drag in the opening of this play. And he goes, that means I've only got about five minutes. He gets his five minute call and he's still dressed as Colin Baker because he he insisted on answering all my questions. I only discovered many years later when I worked in the professional theatre exactly how much time he'd given me and exactly how he didn't hurry me he it didn't betray in his you know he was not remotely peeved he took time he showed me out jack watling knocked on the door and stuck his head round the door at one point oh if only i'd spoken to jack watling as well um but i'm not no, let's concentrate on the positive i can have no regrets about my first doctor who i ever met was colin baker who was so kind uh and so indulgent and I think and, uh, the, the paragon of how to behave uh in front of consumers of your work, which isn't always easy and i you know I've known people who have been collared by people at the wrong time or people have expressed, expressed themselves awkwardly because they're nervous and and i've and it can be annoying and and people you know and people some people they're just rude and awful and i can see why celebrities sort of snap and uh, and and you know get reported badly when actually you don't know quite how the person's dealt with them colin baker I, and I i i did a thing with him must have been 20 years later and i saw two young fans very nervous and they didn't really know he was either because they were they were new serious fans but they were told that he was a doctor so also with colin baker there there was a kind of he sort of knew that it wasn't necessarily all about him, but again he didn't go, Oh well if you're fans of the new thing. He was kind, he was courteous, and he most importantly, he put these kids at ease because kids are nervous even if they didn't quite know that he was Doctor Who and all that sort of thing. Um this is a this is a this I thought I thought all of that stuff was quite effective. We've met some new characters in the caves. That that burning android is a bit of a shock. Um so yes, I've distracted a bit from the story there, but I think it's important uh, to put the context of of the appreciation that I have for for Colin Baker. I like this shift into the caves because uh, we suddenly get an impression of of stuff going on underground, and these two are very interesting actors, Dickin Ashworth. You didn't get what I like about Dickin Ashworth is that he is a a genuine Northerner, which. It seems odd to say that now that we have much more representation on screen. But but even sort of tough rebels were, were rarely accorded authentic northern accents um, unless there was a reason for them so to do. And he'd been in Brookside, Dickon Ashworth. He's in Krull as well. He gets quite far near the end in Krull. Uh, and he's always had a sort of fairly authentic I think if I needed to cast a binman or a lorry driver, I would cast Dick in Ashworth. And I don't mean that as an as an insult either. I think there's a he's got a real genuine quality about him. Just noticed he's wearing an earring too. Um and I think that, that gives him a sort of earthiness that is that is unusual for Doc Two and it's unusually plausible and I and I uh, uh I love the fact there's a picture of Joe Grant as well. There's a publicity shot of Joe Grant from Mind of Evil. No, I'm not gonna commit to where that picture's from. Um, and of course, seeing Joe in a, as, as a youngster. I know John Nathan Turner now gets into trouble for invoking the past. Guilty. I was the sort of fan that wanted references to the past. I wanted pictures of Joe Grant because the olden days was good to me we used to worship the older days i know now when the habit is to look back at the older days and say how rubbish they must have been and how everyone there was stupid which i don't think is a thing that we do that is good i think it is unhealthy and i think it is arrogant uh, we used to look back on the older days and go wow it was amazing those people who paved the way to where we are now lived there doing amazing things i think i think i think I'm looking back to the olden days and saying, the way we looked at the olden days in the olden days was better than the way we do now. So even, even now i <laughs> uh So here we have Herbert in a beautiful set, which I think is shared with the tripods. Um, but I'd forgotten actually how nice it is. And it's a wonderful contrast. And you've got the outside light coming in there as well. The lighting is excellent. Um... Uh, now I remember liking Herbert at the time and subsequently finding him quite annoying so so he he was very he was a character I loved on original broadcast um but but I think I think being enthusiastic and uh, and and a bit guileless is hard to act without being annoying because he's supposed to be quite annoying um but actually on the evidence of this I actually think he's juggling this rather well, and he's he's not done a massive amount since, um, and maybe that had primed me to think he 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 might not carry it off. But he's he's being asked to do some difficult things as an actor here, and I don't think he's doing a bad job. Um, although, oh yes, I I do seem to recall this bit being a bit silly, so I may eat my words. Well, <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh. uh now, that outside set, I mean, it looks totally pony now. I seem to recall at the time was not problematic. I think our eyes as 80s viewers were attuned to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the outside. Um, and, and outside is depicted in that way. It's slightly, th- you know, it's, it's like a theatre set now uh, and we would strive for more realism. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable out of realism. <laughs> and, you know, I know it's not real, I uh, 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 I, I think, uh, I think so long as, uh, <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Um, so long as they're, you know, the program makers are, are giving a sense of time and place. I, I will go with it. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think there's anything gained for me to go, well, that sky in the background's not real. Well, you've completely failed to transport me. Um, if I get, if I, if I jump aboard, uh, uh it's, it's my choice to be transported or not. Tracy Louise Ward as Cats. Now I think Jean Anne Crowley was originally cast as Cats and Tracy Louise Ward here was cast quite late. She's an amazing woman. Oh, she's she was a model in Paris. Uh she's from good stock. She's um she's Tracy Worcester, I think. So I don't know quite how how um uh the aristocracy works, but she's a she's a lady or a baroness or one one of them. But uh, she's put uh, uh, her energies to great use uh, in terms of uh, uh, the ecology and and uh, the, the treatment of pigs in captivity uh, but as well as being a, a model, as well as having had an acting career because she's in a thing called cat's eyes oh she's um she's cats in this uh and she was in cat's eyes um uh, that, i think there should be more people who are in programs named after characters they've played in doctor who um, and I'll see if I can uh, c- come up with some, or I may have just embarked upon something that doesn't end up anywhere. Sh- I'm I'm not quite sure where 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 Veena is looking when she's talking to anybody. She seems not to be able to hold... I do think she's... It's a bit like in a cartoon where she's been thwacked on the back of the head and is sort of doing that and is not quite focusing on anybody. It's almost like Veena, when she went through the time lash, has not quite landed in quite the same time and space as everybody else. Um, But as I say... But she's... She's interesting as well, Jean-Anne Crowley, because she... There was something to do with her in internet chat rooms. Was uh, was she? Uh, if I'd thought she was maybe the first person to to have a conversation in an internet chat room, but I think last time I checked, that wasn't the case. But there's something to. do. But she's 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 now. I think she's back in Ireland and she's done up houses. Um, uh, uh, and I think she stood for Parliament. I'll do a podcast about Doctor Who actors who've stood for Parliament. Um, but she was she was in Tenko. Which was a, a, a great show for Doctor Who people, um, and Doctor Who directors. Oh, and indeed, Pennant Roberts, um, uh, Tenko, uh, uh, a series set in a woman's uh, prisoner of war camp in in Japan in in or, or Japanese prisoner of war camp in, in World War Two, uh, a series where Pennant Roberts didn't have to um, cast some male parts with female actors because it was it was a female centric show. Um, but uh, you know Pennant Roberts is not the most lauded of doc two directors and, and a lot of this is a bit I think unambitious in terms of uh, execution uh, in terms of sort of blocking and camera work but uh, perhaps he had different perhaps he, he had different ambitions he was hugely thought of by people that worked with him and I think also importantly very well liked. Um, it gets a bit of a bad rap with doc 2. I don't think he was always lucky. Um studio blocks moved around for Warriors of the Deep and a, a monster arriving late late and still with wet paint. Um this one a uh, uh, a new writer. I think I think they'd wanted to uh, abandon this and it was it was it was sort of too late. Um but I remember putting it to Colin Baker when I did the interview. What are you looking at, Anthony? <laughs> Is there something on the telly that you're distracted by? It's like she's got her own iPhone in the sky. <laughs> I think this is quite funny. Um, I actually think David, David Chandler, is 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 doing very well because Herbert is annoying, but the performance is not annoying, and that that may sound like a contradiction but it's not i think you need to show why your character is is say winding the doctor up which is funny but but you but you actually like him i actually think he's 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 quite charming um yes okay so good yeah no i'm uh you know i su- i suppose This isn't going to be an exercise in wishful thinking. I'm not going to lie to you, you know. I'm not going to pretend that Time Lash is is going to be... is one of the best Doctor Who stories of all time. I'm going to watch every Doctor Who story I am challenged to watch. But uh, it is part of the rich tapestry of a television series that I think is the most important part of my life uh, in many, many ways. Um, And that that means even liking the bits of it that aren't very good. That's actually quite, I like the staging of that with with, uh, poor old David Ashton and Peter Robert Scott having to be this sort of silent chorus of people acting in the background. Prepare the time, Lash. now, uh, Dar- that must be a wig that Daryl's got, because of course he's in Doctor Who and the Silurians before he was famous as Avon, because he brought. Because of course he, this had Jacqueline Pierce had been in earlier in the season in the two Doctors, so it it you microcephalic apostate, I... and of course I remember, you know, when Doctor Who had sort of flowery dialogue. Uh, it, you know, there's there's part of you that goes, "This is good because it's a, it uh, it's it, uh, interesting dialogue, You know, pricks your ears up and it, and it improves Shut up! I like that. I do like that bit that David Ashton is. We we can't do this. Um, <laughs> shut up! Um, but I I don't think they quite get it right in the Sixth Doctor's era in a way that Robert Holmes, who who used rich dialogue and phraseology somehow and even you know words like jackanapes and all that sort of thing they seem to fit organically into the style of storytelling whereas microcephalic apostate feels like um, I've I've swallowed the thesaurus um but but Colin's very good at showing uh Colin Baker is very good at showing showing pain whilst being stage gripped you know <laughs> um so there we go Eric Deacon yeah, he was I remember being quite excited that he was uh, that he was in it because he was a, a young vital actor oh d- yes the uh, two days okay so um, so on paper th- this is a heck of a cast actually um, so so uh, uh, but int- I haven't even mentioned Dennis Carey I will mention Dennis Carey next week or in in a minute uh, Alan Waring production manager who went on to be a fine Doctor Who director. Uh, and is still directing at the moment, directing Emmerdale down the road. From where uh, Alan Arbuthnot and Alec Wheel, two, both sadly no longer with us, but two two names to to, to conjure on the credits of Doctor Who. I love being able to read the credits. Vanessa Poulton had worked on the Macro Terra, for goodness sake. Why do I know this stuff? Bob Cove, I don't think, did another Doctor did he? Uh, but, right. Okay. Oh, I've got a... Uh, now, I've got to hope that this remote control is still working because I'm not able to do this the way I have been doing it. I paused. Brilliant. Oh, I love this new phone remote control. I don't care about the other. One. Yes, I do. I do need the other one at some point. So that was episode one that rattled by. But I'm aware that I slightly cheated because I I brought my how I met Colin Baker uh, anecdote out of mothballs, but this this is a positive Doctor Who podcast, and so if I if I need to invoke a story that uh, uh, produces positive endorphins in me in order to propel me through the beige planet Carfell and its stunned princess, then I will. Uh, so, what did I like about? Uh, uh, episode one of Timelash. Uh and then I'll have to see if Emma chooses something as well. Why is the lift going when I'm trying to work? Uh, might have to pause because somebody's coming down in a lift and is going to interrupt my filming. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? well okay can I finish this piece that I'm filming I'll thank yeah. you yeah. right um, I have to do a cut there somehow. Uh, so I've got to choose uh, the two things that I liked about that now with I'm gonna save I'm gonna choose the Borad. I'm gonna choose the Borad, but he didn't do much in that episode, um, and I know there's trouble ahead next episode. But I don't think I'd have, cho- I wouldn't have chosen him for this episode simply because he doesn't make himself known. But I do want to talk a lot about the Borad and Robert Ashby um, because they're both brilliant. But I think I have to reserve those for episode two because I don't think Emma would have chosen them for episode one either. And I am trying to choose what I think that she might have chosen. Uh, But the the big surprise to me there that I was really struck by was the lighting by Henry Barber. Uh, I'd always thought of Carfell as being rather beige and rather flat. I think the lighting in uh, particularly that scene between uh, Mick Cross and uh, uh, the male in Rennes, but also in the caves and also I think some of the different colour palettes uh, and the the outside streaming into that set from the tripods that is Herbert's um, cottage or whatever it is. I think the lighting surprised me there. Henry Barber's lighting, studio lighting in the 1980s was hard to do, particularly for drama, for Doctor Who when you're trying to be space age and stuff. Henry Barber's lighting and uh, I've got to say the Android because that was another pleasant surprise. I went into this potentially on a bit of a downer and I certainly wouldn't have thought that the Android would have tickled me in quite the way that it did, but I thought divorced from us being in the 1980s, I actually think it's it's original it's interesting and it's a, it's a, a, an innovative take on how to do an android whilst using a dressed up man so i'm going to say those two things i don't i've just immediately thought why didn't i say paul darrow uh, but i've committed now what's emma chosen i bet the first thing she says is paul darrow now
1: my first choice of course has to be the late great paul darrow as Tekka, the eye rolls, the sycophantic applause, uh, he absolutely gives it his all. Uh, he famously wanted to play the part different from Avon. I would have been happy with Avon in the role, but I was also very happy with what we got, which was um, Paul Darrow's um, unique Tekka. Um, always giving it 100% value, never resorting to equity minimum. Um, wonderful, wonderful Paul Darrow. Um, my second choice is um, cats showing Perry the picture of Joe Grant in her locket which is another very vivid memory from childhood because I was a huge Joe Grant fan but I'd only ever encountered her through the pages of the target books and I'd seen pictures of her um, on the covers of the books which are quite often illustrations so I so it was it was a fun moment as a fan to be able to go Joe Grant is that Joe Grant it is Joe Grant um and another aspect of that conversation is it reveals that the Six, Doctor and Perry obviously do have moments when they're not bickering with each other when, I, I, know, I like to think um, that Six showed Perry this picture in a sort of a nice, um, heart to heart reminiscing conversation about the past rather than why can't you be more like Joe Grant which is another possibility but the main thing is they've got a connection they talk about stuff and that confirms this so it's nice for their relationship which can otherwise be a bit bickery um so that's episode one
0: uh thank you Emma. interesting i was so there going should i try and identify the publicity photo of joe grant that i didn't actually think yeah of course because that was so, such big news something from the past unlike Emma, i had seen joe because uh, they'd repeated uh curse of peladon in doctor who and the monsters uh season of repeats and i'd fallen in love with her and on my exercise book i wrote th for km uh, i've never told her that uh, because that would probably alarm her um uh, yeah so uh, I, I I mean both of those things I think are fantastic choices So look between us I mean it's sad that I've not chosen anything Emma's chosen but between us we've come up with four good things that are all legitimately good things about the much maligned episode one of timelash they had more trouble with episode two but I I'm gonna go into that with a song in my heart and hope for the future uh, because I I think that rattled along and we had a good time. Not pretending it's something that it isn't, but, but highlighting, highlighting the things that we were worth highlighting. And I think in this time of darkness, a little bit of light, even in the gloomy tunnels of Carfell and its beige corridors, uh, is, is something to be chuffed about. So thanks to Emma. Let's see what happens when Avon off of Blake 7 throws Doctor Who through a tinsel door in episode two of time lash as chosen by tv producer and writer emma reeves Uh, we're going to press play in three two one that's a great way to open isn't it um so here we are in sparkly 1980s doctor who uh, on quite a beige planet. I think I interrupted myself with the model shot of Carfell. I thought, yeah, I thought we were going to be in Aztec times, and I loved the idea of, a, a, of an historical. I, I think I loved the idea more than I would have enjoyed uh, the execution, um, uh, much as I love the historicals now, but, um, but I think that's because I'm a, a grown-up. Um, anyway, Glenn McCoy, who, um, he's also on Twitter... Um, and if you look at him and on the making of documentary on this, which I haven't seen for ages, but I remember at the time when it came out, uh, he looks about five. Um, he was a paramedic. Had he written for angels? I think he might have done, but he, he certainly wrote for EastEnders after this because uh, um, I remember seeing his name on the credits for EastEnders and going, oh, it's the it's the Time Lash guy. Um, I don't think anyone in EastEnders ever got called a microcephalic apostate. Um... Uh, that's it's really curious that he uses that uh, that sentence that you're as powerful as burnt out android. And of course, a burnt out android is a thing that happens in this. I don't know if that's deliberate, but it's it's quite an odd uh, metaphor. <laughs> he he does he does smoky smouldery eyes better than anybody. Um, and I remember I I met Paul Darrow at a, at a subsequent convention where I didn't have to handle him, and I think he was. I think he took some handling. It was in Liverpool. He was handled very well. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was I think it was Paul Griggs that did it. Who's a who's a fan from Liverpool who does uh, very good on stage interviews. But I think he had his work cut out because um, Paul, I think, wanted to do it in his own inimitable style. Um, but you see, uh, I think if you're running a convention, a desk a guest who is difficult to control uh, is actually. Uh, 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 Marvelous fun for the audience. Um, this is uh, there's a bit of bit of action there. Um, I I like the fact that uh, Herbert and Vina have, uh, without even communicating, worked out a nifty way to to cover the cameras. Uh, this has that this, ex- so this, this is why you can't have mirrors on carful. Oh yes, I feel a bit sorry for Brunner. He's got, I don't think he s- says anything even in this episode. Off he goes down to the timelash to invent a board game. Um, I, li- I like the way that Mick, uh, Eric Deacon does that kind of, we've not been introduced, but I've heard somebody call you the doctor. So I will say doctor in a way that suggests that I've just learned that that's your name an awful lot to do with two syllables and he did it well uh, now was that were they supposed to get in the way of the camera I quite liked that the scene you would think would end with a, you know the two shot of, of the Doctor and Veena but actually the suggesting the sort of business and the and, and, and the messing about uh, and the urgency of it right, by having them sort of clumsily get in the way or was it deliberate I, I quite like that I think that was okay oh Robert Ashby's voice is golden uh, and he did lots of voiceovers. Um I'm not now I love the android but uh, something he had a similar close up in episode 1 where he was impassive and there he did a little bit of a smile. Um, I'm not sure I approve of that decision. I I think I think the android is android y with so, Don't suddenly think you're in Blade Runner mate. Just <laughs> Um and, and Colin Baker does does have a great energy as the doctor. He never he never flags and I think he's asked to do some quite difficult stuff. And let's be honest, um the the idea that the, the doctor should look like somebody has pebble dashed harpo marks with dolly mixture laced with LSD and pure nineteen eighties juice is is means he's he's got an awful lot to compete with he did i think very gamely say if anybody's to wear that costume you want to be the one in it which i which i think is he's doing what i'm doing you know he's accentuating the positive he's on record as saying he would have preferred a more austere costume um i have to say at the time I, i think i said this i did quite like it my brother had some of those trousers but they were blue with black stripes and I remember because I was always in hand-me-down clothes when it when it it got to my turn to wear them I think I did wear them when I was at university um don't judge me (laughs) um uh but and this time last well they're they're at least doing things with the camera aren't they to to I think perhaps mess with the set a bit because in the in the sort of studio photos of that set it uh, looked very much like polystyrene crystals but uh, they've the the wind machine and the and the lighting and the and the uh, if it's not a filter it's a bit of a camera they've done something with the the camera lens haven't they um ooh uh, that that's not a wobbly set but it is a it is not the most secure of time crystals which is a bit for you from for a wobbly bit of scenery but I'm going with it um <clears throat> And he's yeah so so there's yes I mean that is tinsel isn't it that is tinsel in in the time lash uh, it's not my favourite bit of tinsel in Doctor Who uh, we will come to that when we do another story slightly after this which is one of my most glorious bits of Doctor Who ever um, but I have to be careful um, because what I don't want to do is go oh I'm enjoying this because it's it's bad because I think that is uh, against the Uh, (laughs) Although it's really hard when you have somebody who sounds like she's been doped up to the eyeballs having to say he's dangling on the edge of oblivion. But then we cut to this prison set that I don't remember. I haven't seen the story for ages. That's a terrific set with a beautiful bit of lighting uh, and some nice angles. And the way that the lighting angles with the bars, I think I'm, I'm in love with the prison set more so than the set of the Insight of the timelash uh that or the tinsel triangle of doom um and of, yeah and, and and of course to have them going into it i think slightly takes away from its power as the central thing of the story that is the the major threat It's sort of crawling into the mouth of the dragon isn't it um uh, but they're all th- these actors are all are all doing their best. I'm not, I'm not sure it's the best acted story in the world, but I'm also not sure that's anybody's fault. I think sometimes you can be doing your best acting and just because of the way that things are presented, uh, it doesn't necessarily translate what you're doing as well as possible sometimes. That, now, that may sound like I'm letting the actors off the hook, but I'm not sure it is. I think performances have to be framed correctly by a director. And I know Pennant Roberts was seen as an actor's director, but I I, I think I can see actors working hard here and not necessarily being shown in their best light. Now, David Ashton, Kendron, who is a great a really good actor, really interesting actor, who I I think is slightly odd in this. He uh, is married, or was married, I don't know entirely, to Unina Scott, who is Marn, another male part turned into a female part by pennant roberts in the sunmakers um so he, he's in that uh, uh, illustrious band of uh, husband and wives who have been in doctor who um uh, which i will i'm sure one day do a tedious podcast about dennis carey of course is i as the old man i, I never quite was convinced I, I because it was obvious that the borad was the guy in the chair with the scary voice I, I, I never quite felt that they'd married the idea that this was the UrSat Uh Dennis Carey does a good bit of androidy acting here and I like the, the stuff coming out of the back of his head. I think that's quite an arresting... Uh, image. and he, he does, But Dennis Carey, of course, had been Professor Chronotis in Sharda, directed by Pennant Roberts, that hadn't got made. And Professor Cronotis is a brilliant part. And uh, you could clearly see Pennant Roberts had felt guilty about <laughs> it not getting finished and rang Dennis Carey and went, uh, I've got a chance for you to do a Doctor Who again, Dennis. Oh, is it a marvellous eccentric Time Lordy type person? No, it's a, it's a robotic uh, avatar um, to, to passing itself off as uh, uh, somebody who is actually an, an evil lizardy thing that isn't played by you. Yeah, well, sorry, I'm not doing anything anyway. But he had been back in the meantime in The Keeper of Traken, playing the title role, The Keeper of Tarkin, but not for Pennant Roberts. But, uh, but, uh, so... But it's fair to say that Dennis Carey's best Doctor Who part is the one that wasn't really broadcast. Um, I... Linen is a beast, isn't it? uh they've you know you there's clearly no point in ironing on uh Carfell um I wonder if that's one of the reasons they don't have mirrors It's because they're always going to look slightly I had a jacket like that once and try as i might uh it uh, uh it, it it never looked anything other than like I'd just been in a tumble dryer <laughs> I actually quite like that jacket a partner threw it away and tried to dress me in a different way. Oh oh dear. Um, anyway, uh, so, yes, I never think they quite rationalised that they, they're talking to the face on the screen and there's this guy in the chair, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) you're you're lying. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, he's, he's having a go, David Ashton, but I think he gives a better of account of himself in, in brass particularly. And, uh, and uh and hamish macbeth uh and has done loads since and would be an interesting subject for interview i mean i would love to um so if anybody knows david ashton or indeed tracy louise ward who as cats i'd forgotten i'm not oh that's quite horrible shot in the back but uh it saves having to do the complicated aging makeup from the front uh and it shows how ruthless uh Tekka is um, oh yes, if Tracy Louise warder's Cats was in Cats Eyes, uh, perhaps uh, Paul Darrow's Tecca could have been in A Tecca to High Road. <laughs> That's all of those. That's the only one of those I'm going to do. Um, um, and I, th- I think uh, Nicola Bryant enjoyed her her costume in this, which is nice. It is. It does look actually like clothes somebody would wear. Um, she's not always dressed the most practically. That is a very phallic laser gun. My goodness. Um, I remember when Dan Dare changed artist in The Eagle and a guy called Oliver Frey did it and he was a friend of a friend. And my, uh, well, a friend of my brother's friend. And my brother's friend went, oh yeah, Ollie likes uh, putting phallic things in his stuff. And then pointed out all the guns in this thing did look slightly like appendages. Uh, so I, I think I'm quite attuned to see, um, uh, 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 essence of essence of dong uh, in, uh, in 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 uh, laser guns, where some might be present. Um, you'd think somebody. I mean, most people in the entertainment industry have very filthy minds, so you'd, you, I, I'm not sure those things can be done by accident. Um, oh yes, Tracy Louise Ward as cats, as well as all the amazing stuff I said about her last episode. She put up bail for Julian Assange <laughs> And and I think lost it. I I don't know where I w I don't know why I know these things. Is that part of a cyber gun? I think it might be. Um Uh so yes. Big on ecology, pig farming, catwalk model. Uh, a sister of Rachel Ward, uh the uh, Rachel Ward actually. um uh but also I think lost a few thousand pounds that she'd uh, put up as bail for Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks guy. So, uh, she's very busy. Uh, and, uh, oh yes, I remember I remember thinking that was quite, ooh, now I've got, hang on, I asked some uh, people on my patron uh, uh, page to come up with some questions. Uh, or some observations uh, about uh, uh, about these stories that I'm doing, just so that it's not just me droning on. We have uh, input from other people. So, Nathan Moore, who's uh, one of my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. That was a plug, by the way. Did you see how organically I worked into proceedings? Uh, he's got some favourite things, uh, so I might list those. And Tim Dickinson... Uh, has said, do you think time has been kinder to Time Lash over the years? I've never heard a good word said about it. I think it's not bad at all. Uh, I think it is an example of how people imagine Doctor Who to be in the 80s. But I also know that actually we perhaps will see the differences between, say, this and the next story of Revelation of the Daleks, which I think is objectively better directed and, and better written and better acted. Uh, I... I think I think the likes of us can discern the differences, whereas perhaps uh, a not we, as they are called, might might find them fairly similar looking. I don't know. I don't know that. But I I do think this is this. This is when people like Victoria Wood made sketches about what Doctor Who was like. This is sort of, I think, what what they imagined and not unfairly. could the Tecker and Company spin-off been a full series, says uh, Tim Dickinson. If only Paul Darrow didn't have to drink wine, drive an Austin Metro, and put on his jogging gear in the freezing cold. Haha. <laughs> I'd have liked to have seen that. Um, Tecker and Company, indeed. Um, and, uh, yes, look at look at that. Uh, yes, look at that gun. It's a bit half mast at the moment. Not going to do anybody any good at that angle. Uh, <laughs> I'd try and grow up, Toby. Um, Nathan Moore like, his favourite things are the Borad's mask and the overall performance I think I will be choosing that um, the lighting in the Borad's lair I chose the lighting last time The uh, he likes this bit, the idea of moving forward in time and leaving an image behind even if it's not used to its full effect that is trying to do something with with, with time and of course this is a story about time travel uh, and, 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 and what we'll you know learn about Herbert ties in with that the scenes in the TARDIS between Doctor and Herbit. Good bit of comedy. We'll come to those later. And the design of the robot android. Well, I have already chosen the uh, robot. Not so, as much the design as the movement and design combo. I know some of Perry's scenes in this episode were actually held back from, from part one. Because part one was uh, was overrunning. Uh, um. Oh yes, I remember... I like it. Now, this yes, there's a bit of sort of. That's that's a funny shot of Tracey Louise Ward. Oh yes, and Cezanne gets shot. Uh, uh, this is quite. This is this is quite a nifty action sequence, and I love the way that Eric Deacon really gets into it. There's there's, it's. I think it's the best way to do it, especially if you're having to do a gunfight in a BBC television studio. With three cameras on you uh, and a necessarily she's sort of stage thing going on, but actually, this isn't, yeah. Look, well done, Eric Deacon. He rolled around there, he had lots of piss and vinegar, even did a skid he didn't intend to do. But he, oh, that's a picture of Sean Pertwee. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> uh, it, it looks like Sean Pertwee playing John Pertwee. That really is. It's like they've gone. 20 years into the future and got that th- Sean perkley dressed up as his dad and used that. It really is a time travel story. Dickon Ashworth at the back has given up and he's just leaning, <laughs> propping himself up on his elbow. And I don't think Sesam does anything now. So I wonder why they decided to injure him and not kill him because a death is obviously, you know, more dramatic and more moving. Especially as I don't think he does that much. Did I mention his earring last week? I like the fact that he's got an earring. Uh, that seemed quite cool to me. I don't think I'd remember. I don't. I hadn't remembered that he'd got an earring. I know Rodney Buse has got one in Resurrection of the Daleks as well, hasn't he? Oh, I'd forgotten this. I'd forgotten this spaceship. That's all right. Um, that's um, playing Battleships on a BBC micro. <laughs> she's pissed <laughs> she's got to be um, i <laughs> it's a, oh, I, I cannot account uh for that but i'm i'm very amused by it <laughs> uh I, I like the way that 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 colin sort of interact colin baker interacts Sort of peevishly with people because I, I do sense there's a warmth underneath. Um, and I think he sometimes has to battle against the writing, but uh, and certainly against the costume, and sometimes against actors like Paul Darrow. Now, I think it's worth talking about um, uh, the Borad as we're about to go into his lair, played by Robert Ashby, who real name was something like uh Rashid Sudoworth Ooh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into trouble by pronouncing it badly but but Bob I knew I worked with Bob in my first ever professional job and I said to him you were the you, you were the you were the Borad in time I didn't I just went I'm a big Doctor Who fan you, you remember and he he said um I, 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 and he he said uh, he said well I already didn't like Doctor Who before I was in it because my girlfriend was in Doctor Who and I had to watch it every week and I hated it then and I said who was your girlfriend and he said she played a character called Leela I went you went out with Louise Jameson um, uh, and I've since uh, no Louise so yeah um, the Borad and Leela uh, were a couple for many many years in the in the seventies when Le- when Louise was doing Doctor Who I think um yeah it must have been because he said i had to watch doctor who i was like but you watched really good doctor who um uh but he his father was either prime minister of pakistan or senior senior politician in yeah that part of the world anyway uh um, and his mother was a Russian actress. So it's from really interesting background. The name Robert Ashby is is an adopted one uh for the for the Borad. He, he uh but that is a great makeup. It's a brilliant voice. It's a performance several leagues above I think much that is around it. I am definitely choosing the Borad. Uh I like that high angled shot as well. Um but that's that's a great that's a great makeup and and it's not just a personal thing that that, that that Bob was actually very kind to me I say it was my first professional job I was a I was a sixth form college student and we were all, me and a friend were a, elected to be spear carriers at Ludlow festival did Shakespeare in the castle and my brother had done it a few years before and got a speaking part and I was very jealous because they needed princes in the tower for Uh, Richard III, played by Edward Woodward. I mean, you know, this was no, you know, provincial thing uh, because it was done in a castle in the open air for two weeks over the summer. Uh, So a lovely holiday and Shakespeare in a castle in an old market town. Beautiful. And when I came to do it, it was directed by Arturo VR from the War Games uh, and it had the Borad in it as... uh, Oh, I've already mentioned this in this podcast because Jimmy Ellis was Shylock, was the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and the Prince of Morocco, uh, uh, and the Duke of Venice were played by Bob Ashby, and and me and my friend John were going to be the Duke of Morocco's um, pages, and then we had to change very quickly and be pages of the Prince of Aragon. But because this was 1989, Bob, although he he was brown skinned because he was he was half Pakistan, or half Indian. I don't know entirely. Uh, Nonetheless, to play the Prince of Morocco, he was in full blackface in 1989. Maybe it was 87. uh, Maybe it was 87. As were me and my friend John to play his pages. And we couldn't get the makeup off quick enough. So fortunately, uh, I then didn't have to do that makeup because... I became the Prince of Aragon's page, and my friend John was the Duke of Morocco's. So I am I am spared the being any photographic evidence that could get all Justin Trudeau on me. But you know, this was not long after the BBC had scoured the uh, pantheon of uh, great actors to play Othello for their BBC Shakespeare, and chose that famous black actor Anthony Hopkins. So you know, this was this was practice at the time. That looks appalling now. It didn't seem so then. And that is that is uh, uh, you know a, a good sign. And yet, isn't it extraordinary that it's in living memory? Uh, <laughs> shut up and go. That's brilliant. The way I think that's probably the way to to dismiss to dismiss somebody that's going for it. So anyway, yeah, Bob and 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 and, and Bob had to listen to incessant wittering from uh, this young sixteen-year-old wannabe actor, and he took it with great grace. Uh, and he had a wonderful dry sense of humor smoked benson and hedges my mum rather fancied him he had a he had a he had a a very c- casually casually sexy way about him i think um yeah very early to kill off paul darrow in episode 2 uh and i think it could have probably done with him hanging around but of course the script is the script is a bit all over the place in terms of timing. In fact, Bob told me that he had to write a lot of his own dialogue. And he does a bit later on say, choose your next words carefully, Doctor. They could be your last, which is a, I think is a James Bond line, isn't it? Um, uh, but, and he had it on videotape. So actually he he, he, he he brought me his videotape with all his stuff on so that I could watch it. So I watched the whole of Time Lash, this before, because because I hadn't videoed these. I didn't have a video when this was on uh but he also had some of his other tv stuff on it and a couple of eastenders appearances where he paid a probation officer uh and they were quite a few months apart the two the two scenes and in one he's really nice and his one he's quite hard and i remember saying oh was that originally two different characters and they sort of made you consolidate them and he was really complimentary he said oh that's interesting because well spotted that is the case uh and and he wasn't patronizing at all he was he was really engaging and really kind uh and I liked him a lot and he but he was very funny. I remember one very sunny matinee uh, he came off stage and, uh, uh, and and I think it was because the World Cup was on as well so a lot of people weren't necessarily fully engaged but I remember the the Duke of Morocco is quite a funny part and he used to get big laughs but not on a sunny matinee in the afternoon. I remember him saying effing Philistines don't know why they bother coming to the theater and he didn't entirely mean it, but it was very dryly and funnily done. Uh, uh, and yeah, he d- he did had a couple of other moments where he was very very dryly amusing. Uh, and he's you know seeing as he's stuck in a chair, and and that's not his own stomach. He was he he was in decent shape, so they've also made him uh less felt than he need be, uh, and stuck behind a makeup, albeit a very good one uh i think he does a marvelous job with his voice alone but he did have a a fantastic voice uh and, and he and paul darrow um he died last year um uh, but i was sad i was sad to see him go i think he turned down a knighthood i don't know why he would have got a knighthood it must be for some some stuff because it wasn't for his services to the acting profession although he was a a, a good jobbing actor um I wonder if it's—I don't know if it's something to do with his heritage or his charity work or something—or um, th- th- that's sort of beyond my radar. But I'm—I'm I'm sure there was a story that he turned down a knighthood, uh, so you can investigate that if you want to. Um, but he also did lots of voiceovers for, you know, Tonight on BBC One and uh, and had a had a decent career. I, I'd love to end this with a beautiful coda. He did a signing for Phantom Films, and I went along with my pictures of The Merchant of Venice to show him uh and hoped he might go oh yes i remember you and how proud i am that you've gone on to uh didn't remember me at all and <laughs> didn't even pretend to <laughs> uh he was nice you know he's nice enough uh um but uh, it, it wasn't the tearful reunion perhaps in the back of my mind i'd really hoped for and why would it be i was uh i was uh 16 year old wannabe and uh it was two weeks of his life 25 years 35 years earlier uh but i still remember him very fondly so now all of that is i know a distraction from what's going on here because we had a bit of you know it's well it's it it it, it it's tricky this is a script in trouble because we've just lost the two main villains and we're going to have to bring one of them back again with, I have to say, not a particularly satisfactory explanation. Uh, oh yes, but Perry's being threatened by a, 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 a the 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 Morlocks. There's a missile flying out of a spaceship. I'm I'm seeing phallic symbols everywhere now. I'm not sure I should be, but that's not entirely uh uh undongy. Um, Herbert's coming into his own here. Uh, I I like that they have the character of Herbert, and I do like the wheeze of who Herbert is. I, I love the fact that I'm stringing you along. If you're listening to this commentary, you've never watched the story. I don't know actually. Some people, some people are. I mean, I'm I will be dispensing spoilers. I'm sorry about that. Some, somebody did say with my first one, they sent some lovely feedback. Hello, but they were saying they they'd never actually seen it, so they so they did it with me yabbering on. Watch the story first. Don't let me spoil the surprise as to who Herbert is, which I think is a nice, uh, a nice thing that Doctor. I was I was always slightly thrilled. It always had the knack, I think, Doctor, of using bits of history or historical figures that I somehow had heard of because I'd been taught them at school or they were part of folklore. So I was thrilled when it was Pudding Lane. I was excited when it was Halley's Comet. I, you know, I, I, I. I I knew who uh, uh, Herbert was, uh, and it all made sense, and it all was not a nice sort of cleverly grafted-in gag, but uh, through th- through a character that we've enjoyed. Um, come on, Bandrol Ambassador, you melancholy sock thing! He does have authority, uh, Colin Baker, and there's ah uh, there's there's the slight ah oh, this slight slightly weepy stocking beast. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love the fact that he's having a chat with somebody off screen. Not, Nigel, call the spaceships off. Um. So how are we doing? So what? Uh, what? Uh, what? Have I got any other observations about time lash from? The, the the patrons what did uh, oh no the yes he's never heard a nice word said about it says says Tim and I and I think it, it does display a, a few of its problems a couple of these Tardis scenes are late editions because the episode was under running and and I already mentioned in episode one I th- I think and it's one of the great things that Andrew Cartmel does when he comes in is he goes a lot of those big scenes in the TARDIS there's a sort of habit of having scenes in the TARDIS where the main characters argue with each other Uh, and that's compounded by the fact that then you occasionally need to add a couple more because the episode's under running Um, I mean they marshal their resources quite well although of course the TARDIS isn't in uh, Revelation of the Daleks so they have to rig up the set especially but you're using your two contracted actors and it's quite nice for, uh, uh, Herbert who's in a couple of the extended scenes as well. Um, uh, so, so that actor, I think probably got an extra couple of bits of money. Um, yeah and and you know this is the doctor doing the classic thing of bluffing to his companion uh in order it in in order that uh uh you know she she does not face danger although Perry does sort of undermine that by going but if anything happens to you uh i'll I'll be stranded on this planet which makes you sort of go yeah that' that shouldn't be your main concern it should be more if anything happens to you I'll be sad because you've died uh <laughs> I do like the way that Herbert keeps popping up to the irritation of the Doctor. Uh I'm enjoying Herbert a lot more than I expected to. Um uh, David Chandler did, did you know, did not have the career that say Stephen McIntosh and Christine Kavanagh and uh you know, many other actors who get, get breaks during the J N T era, which was pretty good at predicting talent. Um but I hope he's happy. But I'm yes. I'm sort of. I'm. I've got to. I'm aware. I've got to keep talking in order to keep this interesting. But of course, um, we are. We are sort of delaying the action because, of course, we are. Because the action should be happening at this juncture. But. Um, uh, that, that we've 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 had to brazen the action out. I wonder if John Nathan Turner should have not been so keen on the time-lash cliffhanger and perhaps had a cliffhanger a bit earlier with with Perry and the, the the Morlocks in order because they did lose material from part part one and I think some quite good sounding stuff. I think there's a scene where the Borad, you know, watched um, Vina and Mikros embrace and 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 felt a pang of loneliness because obviously. He feels sad that because of the way he looks, no one will love him. Uh, I, I think his his sort of psychopathic behaviour might also be a bit of a barrier. Uh, yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> I think we're all struggling a bit now. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, yeah. I think you're... I think this is... This, this is a bit like when you're on stage with somebody else and somebody else is supposed to come on and hasn't. And you're having to sort of, between you, keep going. And as the panic increases, I think your performances get slightly bigger because you also don't exactly know where you're going or also where it's going to end. <laughs> So I know that's not exactly what's happening here, but it is. But it is. It is cut from the same cloth. We've got two actors uh, trying to get us all out of trouble. Um, but I can see why. Timelash, Lash T- Tim Dickinson, who, who, one of my correspondents here, um, said he's never heard anyone have a g- good word about it. It, it. it it is a story that that doesn't have a great reputation, and I and I think it's partially because. Uh, it does sort of fall apart in, in in this sort of latter half of of part two, but uh, it is an anagram of lame s h something. Tahir nearly says in part one uh, t, um, uh, and that has been used as a as a as a, a, a rather unfair um, descriptor. Um, and there was also the thing of any story, pardon me, any story with time in the title. Uh, is uh, you know is is in the classic series is bound to be in a bit of trouble uh, nobody's great fans of Time and the Rani the Invasion of Time yes I know somebody else is going to go well I am uh, like the bloke in the life of Brian who is actually Terence Baylor from the War Games and the Ark uh, but I'll tell you that when we're doing the War Games and the Ark um, oh poor old Herbert But and of course we we have the I, I recently did a uh, the quiz of Rassilon and I had to set questions on uh, the curse of fatal death which of course has uh, the, the 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 get out clause of I'll tell you later uh, about how certain things happen where is Sesam? where is him why is sesam still alive um, uh, he hasn't done anything. Uh, I don't think there's been an election, Mick Ross. Uh, do you have dictatorship in your bones? Uh, but of course, we have that with the Doctor and Herbert. Here, we do have the. How did you do that? I'll tell you later, which I think is a bit of a liberty. Um, I mean, at least say I span the tangential arc and that deflected the. That you could you could come up with a. Uh, you you could come up with a thing that that sounded believable, even if it wasn't proper science. Um. But but in, in it, it, yeah, it 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 does give the impression that, that everything's been done in a, a bit of a hurry. Um. Oh. Uh, yeah the 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 that flapjack you had just needs to wore off wear off a bit I think Fina. Yeah, where Sezon? He's feeling very sorry for himself. He's—he should be pleased. He's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's not dead. And I—I—I'd like to get to the bottom of why, because they're sort of referring to Sezon, even though we we don't really see him. I don't understand. Uh, now I'm quite cross with the DVD because I had the DVD. Um you know, menu on, on this before starting. It's got this bit. It's got the death of Tekka. Um, I, I do sometimes wish the DVD people had, a had, had bit quite a few fillings there, Perry. Uh, um, that's, I like the way that they've sticked his hair as well. Um, uh, so I'll explain later and oh there was just it was just a clone of me and I've got another one so that we can do another ending. And this bit wasn't added at the last minute but it sort of feels like it has been. Yeah, I mean Yeah, it's uh, uh yeah, I th- I I think I think like the Borad's face it's all fallen apart a bit but it does mean we get to see a bit more of uh, Robert Ashby not stuck to a chair getting to do a bit of threatening acting which we rather like um, uh he's 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 uh, adding himself to the list of bad guys that lusts after Perry I am I, I, not sure I like this uh this thing of oh you're a bit ugly so um this sort of if you're ugly people will find you appalling and that will make you very sad i I'm, I'm not particular i'd forgotten about this i'm not particularly comfortable uh with with that um and, and i suppose he's he's there going, he's he says the pic- the the picture of me on tinder i'm only showing this side of my face i'm not showing the reptile-y side um But I, but I suppose the doctor is doing what he needs to do in order to trick the board. That I don't think putting out both of somebody's eyes is going to convince them to go out with you. Uh, I I'm not sure the people behind Doctor at this time had quite got the how to do the romance thing quite sorted. Uh, so what's your answer to the idea that somebody doesn't fancy you? I'll just poke both their eyes out. Um yes, I have the power to kill you both. Uh, and of course he becomes the Loch Ness monster, which uh Uh oh, see this is this I I I think this is quite mean and not, not, not brilliantly staged. I'm supposed to be accentuating the positive. Um uh, uh, but I have to admit I'm finding it slightly st- strugglesome. I think Robert Ashby is is is, is doing a, a a decent job, but I think this is hard to stage. Uh, 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 the the doctor's behaviour is not massively pleasant, but I suppose we can justify that by going he had to be cruel and to be mean in order to produce the response that we needed. Uh, and Actually, he survives by being the Loch Ness Monster. So presumably when he goes down the Time Lash, he also stops being a bad guy who wants to pluck out women's eyes in order to make them go out with him, because instead he just swims forever. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe like Vina, he bangs his head and uh, is just slightly distracted for the rest of his life. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to... Uh, I, I, so he's just dest- destroyed <laughs> i always like a bit of uh, a bit of debris flying through a door uh it's a wonderfully bbc doctor you can imagine a prop man with a little gun going okay arthur now brilliant um, uh, why weren't you blown up i'll exp- i'll explain one day Ooh, okay so well look i i i hope I stuck with the, the 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 remit there um and again i'm again i'm not quite sure who you're saying you would be most welcome to there Vina. you don't quite know you can't quite look anybody in the eye um um and of course herbert isn't going to stay um because sp- Alert. Spoiler spoiler, alert. Uh, but I do think this is a neat little way to end. And the clues have been there because of uh, vena and Wiener and the Morlocks. And uh, I mean, it's a bit cheeky of Doctor Who, a show about time travel, to go, you know, the guy who wrote some great literature about time travel. We sort of made him because you didn't. but i like that as a as a coder i like the reveal that herbert is hg wells uh and the fact that it doesn't spoon feed it at the end and go herbert becomes you know they 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 don't spell it out um they 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 trust your intelligence to know that so um yeah i look I, i i must admit i struggled in places there um I'm sorry about that i I do try my my very best um I still think it's entertaining. i would still watch that for entertainment sometimes for the wrong reasons i uh, i think sometimes the acting uh I- I- is entertaining for the wrong reasons uh sometimes for the right reasons and some in some places it's it's pretty decent uh uh but yeah that was um and it was my first colin baker story for this and i'm very fond of colin baker uh and and i think you know he he sometimes he sometimes has to work hard with the 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 material he's given and uh, uh and i i yeah i'm slightly disquieted by by the whole uh, you're you're physically disgusting therefore nobody's going to love you uh i'm not sure that's a message we'd go with Uh, In Doctor Who today. Um, But look. um, I hope that was. uh, I hope that was. An interesting trip through time. I'm not even wearing any. Tinsel or glitter to take you there. So my favorite things. Two things. uh, And a bonus thing. Uh, Well. Well I think the two things. That are obvious to me. Are Robert Ashby. As uh, the Borad. Uh, both the look the makeup and the performance uh the voice oh and the the gag the coda the joke that herbert is revealed to be hg wells and and the way that they ha- thread herbert into the story and actually i thought i might have to uh, you know be, Give that character a bit of leeway with the performance, and I, I don't think he always cracks it. But I think he he was given a really difficult task, and actually, I think David Chandler did a did a very decent job there uh, under I think tr- quite tricky circumstances. And now a bonus thing about time lash that isn't that I can't choose Paul Darrow because. Paul Darrow has been and I I was going to cheat and go I like the fact that there's the picture of John Pertwee disguised as Sean Pertwee um but I think that's a bit the same as what Emma chose with the the Joe Grant thing in episode one so in a way Emma's made my task very hard by uh by sort of touching upon two elements I, I I might have chosen um uh. And. So now can't, I think I'm gonna have to go with. I actually think considering it's a sock puppet, um, voiced by an actor who's already played a part in it. I th- I think there's a certain sort of mournful dignity to the Bandrill Ambassador, and and the fact that you know it's obviously a sort of yeah it's a sort of glove puppet uh, keyed into the studio. Um, that cage that has a chat with nigel in in the spaceship next to it um i actually think there's a little bit of character there uh and uh there's 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 a sort of yes th- there's a sort of melancholy charm that slightly reminds me of my dog about the bandri ambassador which is perhaps clutching at straws uh but sometimes this will be an exercise in straw clutching let's see what on earth emma reeves uh, who by the way i've never met isn't this the lovely thing about doctor who is i've had cause to email emma uh, in a capacity where um i was passing on some information to her that's a, a third party had sort of put us in touch uh and i was able to approach her because i think it's a you know it's, a, it's important to hear from people who perhaps work in the industry or or, or, or who are um you know creatives because um you, you know, they'll be they'll be looking at it through more than just a lens of sort of childhood nostalgia, which I know is a very important lens, but I, I think it gives it a bit of an extra an extra edge. So thank you to Emma, because we don't know each other. Um uh yeah, I don't want this to appear like, oh yeah, with all these Doctor Who fans who get together and talk about Doctor Who and all the things that they um, we've never met. Um so what's Emma chosen about Time Lash 2 and a bonus
1: For episode 2 um, I'm just going to start by saying tinsel, tinsel, tinsel <laughs> I mean so much tinsel um, tinsel of course being the uh, the entrance to the Time Lash and um, then the Time Lash uh, is full of tinsel um, I love the fact that um, after most people just depart with a scream they cut to the tinsel and that's then repeated for the um uh, opening of episode two, so so fantastic um, commitment there. Um, I'm just loving the tinsel. And there's a little <laughs> bonus, I also love the android, so there. Um, now onto something genuinely really good, the Borad's make makeup, the, the Borad's face. I think that's really well done. I remember it vividly as a child. It's sort of, um, you know, I, obviously, there are some worrying messages about facial difference in this episode, and you know we shouldn't ignore that. Um, that's unfortunate. I would have loved to have seen a race of people who looked like the Borad and um, who were different with different personalities, rather than just sort of megalomaniacal monsters. But um, that would probably have been too expensive to do it more than once. But I have. But that makeup job, it's it really stands out in the production. It's brilliant. Um, it holds up I remember thinking it was great as a kid and I didn't sort of think oh scary monster looking different I kind of thought well that's cool um so you know for me it's a big thumbs up for the look of the Borad Uh, makeup credited to Vanessa Poulton I'm sure Toby will have lots to add about that and finally uh, my extra has to be uh, the whole HG Wells influence. Um, I love David Chandler as Herbert. Actually, I I really like him. Um, uh, in the show, I, I would have been happy to see him stick around longer. Uh, the, the references to the time machine, the end of Doctor Morrow, all that's brilliant. So, that uh, those are my favourite things about Time Lash. And uh, as for me. Um, I recently was lead writer on a new version of The Demon Headmaster which is still available on BBC iPlayer Uh, Joe Lidster is also one of the writers so uh, please please do check it out on iPlayer and we're making a second series next year Covid permitting so thanks very much everyone and thanks Toby bye
0: Uh, Well, my super thanks to Emma, who is uh, uh, a busy creative in the television industry, uh, produced uh, 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 the brilliant uh, reimagining our new version of uh, the um, uh, the demon headmaster. Uh, uh, So thank you. So she chose. Well, I think I chose HG Wells. So did she. I sort of chose the Borat. I know she went for the makeup and I went for, but I went for a bit of both. So I'm, cl- I'm claiming them. She went for the tinsel. I was never going to go for the tinsel, um, but we didn't have any crossover on episode one. So it's 3-2, I think, to Emma, but that's pretty good for me because the chances that I'm going to ever win this are extraordinarily slim, um, slimmer than the chances of, time lash ever getting to the top of anyone's sort of favorite story list but I thought we may made a pretty brave stab uh, to go I was interesting that she too um, uh, you know was uncomfortable with the, the the sort of facial difference thing which going into this I hadn't imagined also though going into this I hadn't imagined every uh, with every story I think it's with battlefield I have with evil of the Daleks I have um, aspects of race and depiction of race uh, it's interesting how conscious we are of those things now. And I mentioned it, not because of what happened in this story, but because of uh, 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 Bob Ashby blacking up in that production uh, of The Merchant of Venice in the late 1980s. And I, I would, I would, on my, my hand on my heart, nobody in that production uh, was a person with any racism in them at all. So this idea that we look back in the past and go, well, everyone was awfully racist, it... it they they did a thing that would seem to be rightly seem to be racist now, and yet, oddly, it was part of the fabric of how things were done. Um, so you know, when I tell that story, I, I when I look back, I now go, oh my, I don't I don't go, God, how, how disgusting! I sort of go, I, I, it's it's almost bizarre to me that that was normal and yet it was. Um, uh, but, but in the same way, I guess that saying, ah, well, the reason you're a villain is because you have a twisted ugly face and people with ugly faces are bad or turn bad is, 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 I is, is also, I think, terribly offensive. Um, uh, and I've been working today. I've been doing a, a thing for, um, uh, getting more awareness of disability within the arts and with the creative industries, and it's still something that uh, that is important and underused and undervalued. And the idea that uh, I suspect, if my partner wasn't asleep now, and I said, "Yeah, this story is about <laughs> come on, come and watch this story with me," where the end where somebody who's uh, you know got a disfigured face. Uh, is bullied by Dr Who for being ugly and nobody ever wanting to be with them. I I actually think she'd probably beat me to death with a spade. Uh or, or perhaps or, or perhaps just hit me over the head with a spade until I was stunned as Gina Crowley was. So I mean that's you know I raise all of that stuff because I think it's interesting. Um uh, again I'm cautious of doing that because because of the way that discourse can take place in this day and age. But I think it's interesting to sort of raise these things and discuss them with, you know, with a certain detachment because this is from the past and we can't do anything about it in the same way that we can't do anything about, um, you know, the practice that uh, Robert Ashby went through to, to play the Prince of Morocco, which many, many actors in that decade on the British stage will have done. Uh, and you wouldn't do now, and rightly so. So it's interesting. Time is interesting, uh, which Time Lash is all about. Uh, how time will the winds of time wash us clean? Uh, yeah, well, hopefully they do. Um, so I hope that's been more interesting than perhaps uh, a podcast about Time Lash might have been because we were trying to look the things to celebrate about it and I'm sorry if I didn't always manage to do that but my heart is pure um, come back for the next one of these thanks for being here for this one thanks to Emma Reeves uh, and I will see you some other time take care thank you so much for listening to this episode of Happy Times and Places with me Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Emma Reeves. This episode's featured patrons are... Pascal Zierka, Sydney Wilson, John Williams, Rich Wiggins, Kevin West, Peter Ware, Alistair Wallace, Gary Wales, Sydney Troat, Paul Taylor Greaves, Adam Stone, David Spencer, Richard Smith, Paul Shields, Jim Sangster, Gavin Reimel, Quaridors, Monsieur Poirot, Thomas Paine, Ken Patterson, Russell Parker, Nick Mellish, Pip Maidley, Sean McAllister and Nate Lynch. The music for the podcast was by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to become a patron where you get exclusives and advanced releases, please do go to patreon.com forward slash You can also support me by making a one-off payment to ko-fi.com forward slash And please don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel and to rate and to review this podcast, only if you're going to do so nicely, wherever you download it from. Thank you ever so much.